Good evening once again. We're going to continue our study of personal application of what we've learned in the sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer with Thomas Watson, that long study. We're continuing with the great duty of keeping ourselves from iniquity, recently reprinted by Northampton Press. Uh, by Dr. Don Kistler, the writer, John Whit- Whitlock, his sermons. He was a Puritan in the 1600s. And again, these were sermons that they asked him to publish about 40 years after he preached them. And it is on Psalm 1823. So I'd like to open there with you while we're continuing this personal application aspect of, our, of our, where we've been in our study. And so we're going to turn together to Psalm 18, verse 23. I was also upright before him. And I kept myself from mine iniquity. And it's that last part that he's really focusing. He will give some disclaimers. I think he already did, might again, about the first part of the verse. Uh, But particularly, I have kept myself from mine iniquity. That is the verse for the whole book, although we're going to have a lot of other scriptures he takes us through tonight. I'm endeavoring to bring us through two chapters. Um, I still am kind of considering a chapter I might leave out and some chapters I might just really brush through. But for tonight, um, I think it'll be helpful to go through. This next chapter is very brief. It's just a page and a half, but it does have a lot of scripture references. Depending on how long it goes, we may let that be it, but my intention is to get through the next chapter as well. So the first chapter is the scripture proof of the doctrine. And particularly, he's wanting to prove from this verse, there's a focus of needing to not only take responsibility for our own sins personally, and not just kind of pray generally, you know, and lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil, but personal application. And then even more directly, he's trying to prove, he's endeavoring to prove, and I think he does, that there's an aspect of Psalm 1823, I've kept myself from mine iniquity, that is focusing on what are certain sins that are more of a problem for me in my life? Now, we looked last week at a study of different areas of life to look at to help you discover what that might be for you. And again, these are all for you to personally apply privately with the Lord. Um, we're not looking to, to ruffle up anything, but it's to help us work on our own selves. Uh, so he's going to give us a scripture proof of this doctrine tonight. If we have enough time, we'll go to the next chapter, what is meant by keeping yourself from iniquity. That's a little longer, but not too long. I'm going to try to get through them both, but we'll see how long it takes to get through these scriptures. That's mostly what this will be tonight, which is nice because before he's been making such a discussion, he hasn't brought us to too many scriptures. Well, tonight he's going to bring us to a lot of them. And uh, while I could mostly just reference them to you, I think it'll be good for us to walk through them together in the scriptures to build the habit of knowing where they're found, uh, looking at them directly, not only with our ears and our heart, but our eyes, you know, involve all of that. Um, So I'm going to encourage us to be going together. But tonight, the scripture proof of the doctrine. Um, uh, Men's special sins was the last chapter, so he was discussing how to identify. Each of us has our own special sins, or as Watson said, our darlings, or as, um, uh, help me out, uh, oh boy, I'll think of it later. I can't think of it all of a sudden. Um, well, another, another guy we had for a while, you know him very, very well, we've watched his videos. The name's jumping right out of my head right now, but uh, he mentioned our pet sins, you know, our pet sins, we just pet them, and we, we don't want anyone to actually deal with that. That's, we, we, we want to own it, or we pretend, but we're actually owned by it. So, uh, Welsh, uh, oh, it's on the tip of my tongue, it's ridiculous, I can't think of it right now. No, no. Uh, Derek Thomas. 
Sorry. Thank you. You kind of jiggled it out there. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the studies in the book, Our Ancient Foe, which we'll return to to close the series later for encouragement. But his chapter was, this is, you know, we have our pet sins that we just, we like to cozy them on our lap. We take good care of them, feed them well, and we don't want anybody to, to challenge us on those. Uh, one day I'd like to study, as I've said, the book, Jerry Bridges' Respectable Sins. I would expect we'll find a lot there to overlap. But at some point I need to quilt, close this study with you, so maybe another time. By the way, in a little while we're planning on starting up the study about work with uh, Mary Beakey. Okay, so men's special sins last week. Now he's going to give scripture proof of the doctrine. We're going to walk through these together. Number one, he says, it is the duty of all peculiarly to keep themselves from their own iniquities, whether reigning or but prevailing sins. Now he's going to make that distinction. And there is a chapter, and I, I struggle to pass over it because I think it's very pastoral. He's already touched on it. He makes a distinction between reigning sins where they're our king. We're not saved and they run our lives. Or prevailing sins. They torment us, they trouble us, but it's no longer our king. We often have victory and growth in it, but it's, it's an area that will always be something we'll have to especially be careful about. So when you hear that distinction, uh, but what he turns us to is Matthew chapter 5 to begin with. Let's turn there. Uh, again, we're looking for examples of this idea of uh, our own special sins that we need to give special attention to. And it's different for everybody. Matthew 5, 29 to 30. Of course, within the Sermon of the Mount, the words of our Lord. Matthew 5, 29 to 30. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Uh, then he turns us to, uh, well, excuse me, it's the same parallel reference in Mark chapter 9. Uh, something comes to mind just for the visualization of this. You know, of course, it's not literal that you would cut your hand off, because obviously it's the heart, right? We know from the same Sermon on the Mount, we saw it Lord's Day evening, in Matthew 5, related to the seventh commandment, uh, these things come from the heart, ultimately. You can't really cut your heart out. You'll be gone. What are you going to do then, right? But it is figuratively, although very strongly recommending, that you have to severely deal with certain things. So if it happens to be your hand, if that's what's always getting you in trouble, cut it off. You know, the scriptures do speak of if you are a habitual sinner, and it mentions certain kinds of things, then it might be you're not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven, because you're not living any differently. You're, you are, it is your king. Christ is not your king, right? We're not going to get into a lot of questions that might come with that, but the, the, Jesus says, if that hand or the eye pluck it out, now think of the violent nature of that. It's better to lose an eye than to go into hell with two eyes. Now, don't go out there and pluck your eyeballs out. You'll miss the point. It's figurative language. But it's still actually true, isn't it? Let's pretend that the eye truly was the source of all the sin. And that's what you've got to be careful of, of the imagery. It's, it's the spiritual heart, right? It isn't, but that eye, if it really was what would send you to hell, the best thing you could do was pluck it out. I remember seeing, I don't know if it was a documentary or a, a historical document movie, but I, I remember, 
I'm just having this memory of a, of a scene where a doctor is operating on someone who has AIDS. And he makes some kind of mistake and slices himself, somehow gets infected. And he very quickly cuts it off. Because he knows it'll kill him. And rather than die, you cut it off. It's a, a gruesome visual aid, but that's what the Lord is giving us. right? So what area of your life is, you know, your pet sin, your your darling that really runs your life cut it off kick it out of the car and drive away don't stop you know that's the imagery we're getting and what we're seeing here by the proof of it is obviously a hand is a different source than the eye right Uh, different body parts It, it might be the hand for some it might be the eye for others just talking in the general idea of the of the image given to us of the expression given to us okay proving the idea that there are some special sins yes 28 uh, of the same chapter. Okay, Mrs. Render is pointing out verse 28. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed, committed adultery with her already in his heart. Thank you. Yeah, that's what we just had for memory verse last week. Uh, but yeah, um, notice again, it's the looking for the purpose of adult having the sense of lusting that's adultery in the heart. So it's not even necessarily the physical, it's the, it's, it's the spiritual thing. But then it's interesting to consider that as you go into verse 29, if it's your eye that offends thee, pluck it out. You know? uh, I think of also, I know many of you have seen the movie Fireproof. Uh, Kirk Cameron, we're going to have his other movie next, is it next Friday night already? I think you prayed for that. Um, Life Mark, based on a true story, he's acting in that as well. Uh, but in Fireproof, He's trying to fix his marriage, but the issue is his father's trying to help him to see you've got to fix a lot about yourself, and you first need to come to Christ. But then he has issues with what he's looking at on the computer, and he isn't really getting rid of it, and that's affecting his wife. She's not stupid. And there's the day where he really cuts it out. Do you remember that? Anybody remember what happened? He throws it out the window. Actually, no. He doesn't. Well, he might throw it out the window, but he takes it outside, and what does he do to it? The, tele- the computer. Yeah, he takes a baseball bat to it. He beats the living daylights out of that. So that computer ain't going to work no more, right? Take it out of the house and beat it up into smithereens. And that's the idea. That was a prevailing special sin for him. And cutting his eyes isn't really going to take the lust out of his heart, right? But you remove the things that are there to tempt you. We don't want to pray, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil, but we leave the very same thing that is the thing that needs to be plucked out or cut off in our lives. That's the idea. But, you know, that is a prevailing sin. That's the idea of what he's proving to us. So he takes us to another one, Hebrews 12, verse 1. Very well known, but uh, very familiar, I should say at least, but let's, let's turn to these scriptures tonight. We have the, uh, have the time to do so, even if, even if we only do this chapter of the book tonight. Hebrews chapter 12, now of course it comes right after the the hall of faith as we often speak in chapter 11 of all those who are willing to suffer and struggle and be killed for Christ. If they're willing to literally do that, then we should certainly be willing to kill things in our life, right? That are our own sins, especially our special sins. Now that leads into chapter 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us 
and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, verse 2, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. But the particular thing we want to recognize is the sins which do, do so easily beset us. And of course, there are certain sins. For each person, it could be a different kind of sin. But there are certain sins that are so easy to beset us. We're so much more likely to fall into them uh, when, when the red flags are there and we ignore them. So the sins that so easily beset us, there's a sense of some are more, you know, there are some that it's so easy to say no to. And for each person, it can be different. For each person, there are certain sins that are so much harder to say no to, and they can so easily beset us. And again, what is the, so that's the main thing he's proving, that that's the idea. Uh, we have special sins that we have to focus on and deal with, primarily, primarily. Uh, Isaiah 53, 6, we're going to go to two scriptures, actually more than that. Actually, we're going to go to a lot of scriptures in Isaiah <laughs> as I scan my highlights. Isaiah 53, verse 6. As we're turning to Isaiah 53, who remembers what that chapter is about, primarily? It's about Jesus. It's the suffering servant. It's the scripture that's quoted by Peter of Christ, saying it's by his wounds that we are healed. Our sins were put upon him, right? He saves us by taking on our sin for us, the substitutionary sacrifice of our Savior, Jesus Christ, right? Now, do you remember, it's worth repeating, uh, I heard on the radio a little while ago, David Jeremiah, this was an illustration, it wasn't his main sermon, but he was talking about Richard Gantz, who I learned from my meeting with um, Pastor Tabaka this weekend in LA, I think maybe with the Lord now. Apparently he started to have a lot of challenges with his health, so I'm not sure that he's still alive, but I met him briefly at the seminary. He was in Ottawa, Canada, had his own institution there, but it was the RPCNA and he'd come over at RPTS, and he's got a number of books, and um, and uh, related to he was he was a, he was a Jew, ethnic ethnically, and he was a psychologist by training, or a psychiatrist, one of those, and um, he was in Europe traveling Europe, and he ended up at Labrie University, Francis Schaeffer, and Francis Schaeffer started to read to him Isaiah fifty three, and his response was, well that you know. Of course, the New Testament, you know, they, they're just applying that to Jesus. They're, they're saying that about Jesus, but they were there to see that. But, and then he showed him, this is the Old Testament I'm reading. And he was blown away, and he, he realized this is about Christ. It's so obvious. As I've said, I've heard it said that often in the Jewish Bible, Isaiah 53 is not translated from the Hebrew to other languages, because it's just so obvious that it's Christ, you know. Keep that in mind as we're reading this, okay? So the verse he's bringing to us is Isaiah 53, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Again, iniquity, sin, transgression. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He says it is especially uh, has an eye to the peculiar reigning or prevailing sins that may be called men's own ways. So that's the thing he's picking up in the verse. It says, we've turned everyone to his own way. You know, it's like in Judges, right? Uh, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. 
You know, we all go to our own ways, and that's going to lead towards the certain ways of sin that particularly are tempting to us, right, when we're going to go our own way. So that's what he's drawing out in the discussion. I'm going to go in order the way he does. Uh, I might skip a little bit and come back because he has a little bit more with Isaiah. Uh, but turn ahead with me to Isaiah 55, 7. Again, tonight he's proving that we have our own special sins we have to deal with, each one of us particularly. Isaiah 55, verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon course that last part of the verse is such great uh, gospel isn't it that the lord as we return to the lord seeking his mercy he will give us his mercy and a great pardon for our sins um encouraged uh, to think of that with our brother who received the lord jesus this evening that it, he will give us if we return to the lord away from our sins he will have mercy upon him uh, he god will ha- abundantly pardon him that's just glorious words you can't hear too much right um, but it's the earlier part he's pointing on, the w- pointing to. The wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. So again, Isaiah, uh, Psalm 18.23, I, I have kept myself from my iniquity. Uh, again, it's like my sins, my thoughts. And again, you can think about this that as it refers to thoughts. Some people don't have any problem. I never think about that. But other people, man, that's all. I, I have such a hard time not thinking about that. And then it's something else for someone else. So again, his thoughts, his way. Uh, We all have our own personal life, personal sins, circumstances, makeup, things that can be why, but we all have our own way that we need to turn from. And we can talk about it in a general way, but remember our confession speaks of repenting of particular sins particularly. Sometimes it's only in private, sometimes it's in public, as the case may be. But having that sense of particular application personally to ourselves with our own ways that we have tendencies for. Jeremiah, uh, or excuse me, not Jeremiah yet. There's two other Isaiah scriptures. So since we're in the book, I'm going to skip ahead. And well, now he's going in order of two concepts, so we'll have to come back. It's probably better to stay in the order of his logic. So um, the next scripture is Jeremiah. So it's right after Isaiah. Jeremiah 18, verse 11. We'll be going back to Isaiah shortly. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 11. Now, therefore, go to speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I frame evil against you and devise a device against you. Return ye now every one from his evil way and make your ways and your doings good. Certainly there are strains of people, we've even seen that in these studies, you know, nations can be known, like, like the, um, the Cretans and Titus, I think it is, right? They're known for being habitual liars. So certainly a family and a people group can take on a culture of certain kinds of sins more than others. But in particular, it also has in view, we all have our own ways, even if it is kind of the norm of our, of our tend, tending of our culture that we allow it. What are particular ways that we personally have to change from, that are going to be known as the main things of our sins. Um, 
He says, everyone has some particular evil way that he most walks in. So again, this is for you to go to the Lord before and actually think of Psalm 18, 23 and apply these things from our study of the sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer. I want to keep encouraging you. Have you done any thinking about this with the Lord right now? Any praying when you go home? Any making, maybe making a note, finding certain scriptures? Uh, and again, I want to challenge us. It could be the Respectable Sins, Jerry Bridges' book, which I haven't read yet. I want to get there. <laughs> but you know, it, may not, it might be the kind of thing that society tends to approve which, I mean, a big one you could just pick is pride, right? You can start there if you need help with anything. <laughs> and then look at all the examples of pride in your life and how can you work on that. It doesn't have to be uh, something that we would more likely think of a horrific thing. The concern is, what tends to be your way? Is it lying when that's the default because it's simpler? You know, I could you know think maybe of the Ten Commandments, different aspects of it. But again, everyone has some particular evil way that he most walks in. Beloved, I would even encourage you. You may think, well, there is more than one. You know, try to think about. I would say focus on one. If you're really focusing on one, if you're not sure about which to focus on, focus on one. Pray the Lord helps you. You're going to see that have an effect with everything else, okay? And, and don't feel like it's got to be big and dramatic um, uh, to be able to identify. Think about the things that we talked about in the last chapter. Number two, uh, so there's two things he's teaching us. This is an evidence of uprightness for persons to keep themselves from their special and most prevailing corruptions. This appears in that this is promised by God to be written in the hearts of men and as a special and essential part of repentance. So we go back to Isaiah 2.20. He says this is a very important part of real, genuine repentance. And he gives us Isaiah 2 verse 20. Isaiah 2, verse 20. In that day, a man shall cast his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which they made each one for himself to worship, to the moles and to the bats. So, this is what an upright person will do. They will look at the prevailing sins, and they're going to cast them out and get rid of them. We kind of looked at, we considered some illustrations of that tonight with what we previously discussed, but they're going to cast them out. This is an essential part of repentance. As our standards teach us, repentance unto life is a, it's, it's a, it's a grace of God, right? But in which we grieve, we have grieve and we have hatred over our sins, and we turn from them unto God. With uh, And I'm not quoting it too well, I need to refresh on it, but with full endeavor after with a full purpose and endeavor after new obedience. So there's an, again, repentance in the Hebrew and in the Greek basically has the idea of a change of mind or a change of heart. I was walking this way. I don't do a 360. I do a 180. I turn from that. I leave it in my tracks. I turn to God and I follow Jesus the way I know I'm supposed to more and more by his help, by his spirit. Okay, So again, getting rid of this stuff is an important part of it. And that's what he says. We're studying this so that we can do something about it, so that we can grow in grace, make progress in piety and holiness. Okay, okay. then he gives us Isaiah 30, verse 22. You turn there with me, and we're actually almost done with this chapter. Isaiah 30, 22. And again, the scripture proof of the doctrine. He's 
giving some scripture proofs to us, as we should always do, to, to make sure we know that uh, these are biblical concepts we're talking about. Isaiah 30, verse 22. Ye shall defile also the coverings of thy graven images of silver, and the ornament of thy molten images of gold. Thou shalt cast them away as a menstruous cloth. Thou shalt say unto it, Get thee hence. Okay, you got to identify it to do that, right? You could walk around and ignore dirty and corrupt stuff laying around. You can do that. People do that. It's kind of scary, actually, isn't it? You can get too used to the smell. Uh, but you need to recognize this needs to go in the garbage. I need to crack open the windows. I need to spray some good smell, and I need, this needs to go. Now, notice the graphic image of a menstrual cloth, right? Uh, that's not, that's the kind of, sometimes we're taught to think of that, I believe also in Isaiah, similar to how uh, uh, Paul talks about in Philippians, our, even our righteousnesses. That we might think our righteousness before God, our menstrual cloths. This is really the literal in the Hebrew. But here we have a translated menstrual cloths. This is how we're to treat our special sins. They need to be discarded. They need to be put in the trash and taken away from us. And that's why we want to identify it, to get rid of it. By Christ's grace and mercy and power to conquer it. And I, uh, Isaac, I see you have a question. Let me give you the mic. Okay. All right, it better be quicker. I'm giving you the mic. Okay, what's your question? Real fast. Uh, what's the men's, what is a menstrual cloth? I'll talk about it private with you, privately with you later, okay? It's a good question, and I'll talk to you privately so you have a, a better understanding, okay? But that, though, the way I want to tenderly handle that, I might tell you in a sermon, but um, is a demonstration of how we look at our special sins, though, right? But uh, remind me to talk about that with you tonight, okay? Kind of getting close to that age also. So. <laughs> okay. Um, and then lastly, he gives us Isaiah, excuse me, Hosea, one of the minor prophets. So turn to the right into the minor prophets, Hosea 14. Right after Daniel, Hosea chapter 14, verses 3 and 8. Hosea 14, 3, and 8. Asher shall not save us. We will not ride upon horses. Sorry, am I in the wrong book? Okay. I, I felt like I was getting some... Sometimes I do that, and I'll see heads kind of... What's going on? I misinterpreted. Sorry. Uh, let me go back. Uh, Hosea 14, verse 3. Asher shall not save us. We will not ride upon horses, neither will we say any more to the work of our hands. Ye are our gods. For in thee the fatherless findeth mercy. And now verse 8. Ephraim shall say, we have, What have I to do any more with idols? I have heard him and observed him. I am like a green fir tree. From me is thy fruit found. Now, think about this. I'm getting rid of my idols. Idols are specific things. They're usually related to certain gods. Usually related to certain pr uh, prominent sins. So whatever those idols are would have more of an identity and connection to certain kinds of sins. So again, there's the, I, my idols. I say, what I have to do with you, I'm done. Remember in Deuteronomy 12, which was Moses' sermon on the second commandment, no idols, uh, 
that was a lot of it. Get rid of everything. You go in there to, to the promised land, you don't take on their ways. You don't take on their special groves where they've built the Asherah trees and all these things. You don't take on their idolatry. You don't worship me the way they worship their false gods. You get rid of it all. You get rid of it all. So there's this idea of getting rid of it. And that's the point. Number one, we need to know what they are. We need to see that there are certain prevailing sins in our lives. And we need to focus on them, identify them, and get rid of them. So we continue to pray to do that. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. But I would say as you're praying privately, you identify those things and you pray, Lord, Lead me not into that temptation anymore. I confess it before you. Deliver me from that temptation. Deliver me from that evil. Right? If you find yourself having given to the temptation, deliver me from that evil right now. Forgive me, Lord. We've talked about it. Give me victory to get right out of it now. Give me, help me to cast it further away. Right? Because Satan will attack you and he'll... Remember all the studies we had before. He knows how to get you right back to it. So you never, you never act like he has won. Christ has won and given you the victory. But the purpose is to get rid of it. Okay. Um, all right. If you don't mind if I take a little more time to get through these chapters, though they're fairly short, um, I think I would like to close and not do the next chapter because I'm always uh, naive about how long it's going to take. <laughs> and you're very, I think we could finish around the normal time if I do endeavor to do it, but I think that's plenty for tonight. And uh, as long as you don't mind going a couple extra weeks to, uh, to get through it, because I think most of the chapters will be pretty useful for us. Okay, let's, uh, let's close in prayer together. Our Father in heaven, we do pray that you would help us to keep ourselves from our iniquities. And that you would help us to be focusing on what we learned last time and identifying peculiar sins. Uh, show us, Lord, even where we might be blind to such things because we perhaps are in danger of nearing a seared conscience toward them. Lord, awaken us and show us and help us to have dialogue with you in prayer about it. Help us to make good use of this study and of the Lord's Prayer and the Sixth Petition, and apply it to ourselves, and repent of particular sins particularly, and recognize areas that are our pets and our darlings, uh, that is the hand or the eye, uh, that whatever is the, especially the cause, and let us cut it off and take it outside and beat it and leave it into the trash to go away. But Lord, we recognize, as Jesus said, they all ultimately come from out of our heart. Protect us from what we let in through our eyes to affect the whole man, including our heart. But Lord, we also pray, create in us clean hearts, O Lord, and renew a right spirit within us. And we pray, O Lord, keep back your servants from presumptuous sins. And let them not have dominion over us. Then shall we be upright and innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. And we close praying as you, our Redeemer, taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.